As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. He's Ari Wasserman. Ari, how you doing, bud? We also work at The Athletic. Good. How are you? Yeah, we do. I used to introduce us both at The Athletic, but then you said I was saying The Athletic too many times in the intro, so I tried to be a little more concise. Yeah, you were more I can't concise. Do, I can't please you, basically. But, no, we, you know. we, uh, we were more concise, and that was definitely the best intro that you've done. But now next cool. week when we do it, just go The Athletic's Recruiting Podcast. I'm Ari Wasserman, you know, whatever. But I'm not Ari Wasserman. Yeah. Okay, okay, this is going to be a big show today. It, it is. It is. Um, okay, we got some great questions, some great mailbag questions. Keep them coming to Ari for his written mailbag, which he does on Tuesdays. We, we take a lot of the questions from that. Some he answers in the mailbag, some he doesn't. We got a great one that we're going to have a lot of fun with. Um, and can but, I say that like I, I read all of them, and they're really, so. really good. And yeah, it's really are. hard to choose sometimes. And I'm really happy that we put some of these on the podcast because – you know, I, I mean, I even might suggest to you that we don't add a prompt this week because there were so many good ones from the week before, you know, and I don't want people to feel like we're we're uh, ignoring them or they're missing out. It's just you can only have four or five a week and there's like 30 good questions. It's really, really hard to manage. So I'm happy that we can at least address a few of them on the show. Right. And the best way to get Ari to address a question or us to talk about in the pod is like a theory type one. You know, are we he, we like all of them, but the Where's this kid going? Where do you see this class? The specifics about a class, it's more just the, the big picture stuff that Ari likes to attack. And as you, if you listen to the podcast, stuff that we like to talk about. It's kind of the calm before the storm um, in, in recruiting as far as commitments go. Ari, not a lot going on. Um, so movement in the 2023 class, your favorite, one of your favorite things, the famed Massachusetts to Michigan pipeline was very active this week with uh, uh, Michigan got a big tight end commitment from a, a four-star uh, Andrew, I guess it's Raplia from Milton Mass. So kind of joke there because that's, uh, that's uh, what are the origins of the, the, was it Don Brown basically when he yeah, got hired there? They, they were going to, they were going to mine Massachusetts. Yeah. It's like funny because it's, it's just like picking this huge recruiting strategy and then attacking a place that doesn't have a re- it's like I'm going to mine for gold in a place that doesn't have gold. You know what I mean? And Bay then whatever New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, actually Michigan ended up getting a few good players out of there, yeah. so I'm not saying it was a complete waste, but uh I was always baffled by the idea of like you know, of all the places that Michigan could spend all these resources and time, you know, you would probably pick a place like Atlanta or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> or a place that has a ton of top-end talent and like, I don't know. It'd be interesting to go look up, Mitch. I, I bet you that Massachusetts hasn't had a five-star prospect maybe in the history of the recruiting rankings. Yeah, there's that. that's a good question. There's They do all right. I mean, there's usually, I'd say, probably, uh, what do you think, three to five P5 guys a year from Massachusetts? Or is that pushing? Yeah, and, and low P5 yeah. guys. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know this this um, Andrew Raplia tight end number three yeah he's number 332 in the 2023 class which is good you know and for a tight end the rankings are are usually dinged a little bit because tight ends aren't aren't ranked the same way that other positions are so like to me if i see the the number 332 overall players a tight end and the number 20 tight end in the country 
you know, I, I ignore the fact that he's from Massachusetts and say that's probably a pretty solid tight end. And also yeah. Michigan has done a very good job of, of identifying and developing their tight ends. So like I that one doesn't strike me as something to make fun of. But some sure. of the other ones, like yeah. some linebackers that they got that ran a six second forty yard dash out of that. It's like <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing. You know what I mean? So I knew that would get you going. Yeah. All right. Uh, Michigan State got a nice commitment, a uh, uh, four-star running back, Kedrick Riscano from uh, New Caney, Texas, number 219 overall. Uh, so Michigan State in the news for a non-transfer. So those are really the 2023 class. Very quiet in 2022. Uh, Oregon got a commitment from Hawaii. Kawika Rogers, uh, offensive lineman, unranked. Interesting there. Um, and then Clemson, two commitments. Unranked wide receiver Cole Turner from Birmingham is Older brother Nolan Turner played at Clemson and three-star cornerback Miles Oliver. Um, and then one quick note in the 2023 class, I just looked ahead. I was curious. Off the top of your head, how many five-stars do you think have committed from the 2023 class? Uh, seven. Five. Five. Yeah. So I think we'll see a flurry in the next month or so. Maybe not a flurry some, and then it'll probably get real quiet until the evaluation periods and in the spring and camps and all that stuff. Um you did a story. Do you think that this Cole Turner, Turner receiver that that Clemson just got, who's unranked, is going to turn out to be like the next great like slot receiver that runs these most amazing routes, as slippery as hell, and can't get tackled by anybody? Is he like Probably. Hunter Renfro? I, I don't know. Like, but like, I that's talk- the thing about Clemson, though. It's like, do, like we had Grace on the show a few weeks ago. It's just like, the, do they still have the magic? Like, did they just sign Hunter Renfro? If they do, we'll look back in, uh, on this episode, but. Um yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. He's a three-star, ranked nine fifty-one. They also, uh, no, sorry, that that's uh, that that was the cornerback, Miles Oliver. Cole Turner was unranked. I want to talk about some three stars. You did a story last week. You went out to go uh, to his high school, Andrew Paul, a running back who's ranked in the twelve hundreds nationally. Who I just noticed one day on Twitter that he had an offer from Clemson. Did a little research. Um, Michigan was offering, Oregon was offering, and uh, tell just kind of tease that story and just a real interesting case because he's not some guy who was hurt and missed his junior year. He put up big numbers at a high school in Dallas. It's not like he was doing it in Massachusetts or anywhere. He, he's just not a hidden gem out there. Yeah, and he's a really solidly built kid. Like when I was in the same room with him, I was like, yeah, this looks like a power five running back to me, you know? Um, and sometimes it's like really hard because I – you know, throughout my entire career, I've gone to thousands of high schools and talked to all these prospects in person. I bet you haven't been to thousands of high schools. That's a lot of high schools. Thousands of high schools? Of, maybe a thousand. Okay. I've been to a lot of high schools. Maybe, not, I don't know. <laughs> thousands is also an expression, but Mr. Yeah. Literal over here can't handle it. Um, <laughs> I've been to a lot of high schools, and every coach will tell you that their kid is really awesome. So, like, I, I try my best to decipher like what is real and what's not but based on the the conversations that i have i try to take cues of like okay this makes sense this is real or this this kid's legit and you know because everybody can rattle off their crazy high school stats and they did a great job and they led them to a state championship there's a lot of really good high school players in our power five prospects but this kid is legit and i think based on the behavior of the coaches i mean if i follow the the, the head coach from uh, Parish Episcopal on Twitter now, and it's like they had a parade of coaches in their building. Dan Lanning was the in, other I day. Yesterday. Dan Lanning was there, so like, I mean, I, I get it, and I think it's interesting when something's a, someone's a fast rising prospect like this because you go from having no offers really in September to major major offers now, and part of the reason why that happens too is that programs who don't have a running back become more desperate to take somebody lower on their board. So I understand too that that's that's part of the deal. Like Clemson um, just lost uh, was Trevor Etienne yes, to, to that's Florida. Right. So, so they, Florida. they're so trying like, to add a running back. Now Clemson needs a running back, and that means that their their willingness to offer somebody that wasn't offered before changes because of a need that they need to address on their roster. Um, but places like Clemson don't uh, don't offer kids that stink. You know, you don't want to to add a, a player who can't play to your roster because then you have an albatross around your neck. So, like, I'm very excited to see how this plans out, and I personally hope that Mizzou gets him. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Mizzou uh, later on in the show. Um, but they are the, the, the uh, you know, as a person who can appreciate a good evaluator or a good evaluation job, I look at what um, Eli Drinkwitz and his staff did 
being the first to really uh, evaluate him the proper way and offer him and go all in on him. Coach Looper, the running backs coach at Mizzou, um, told him that he's an SEC running back before anybody else did. It'd be nice to see the, the team that believed in you get you. You know what I mean? And I know it doesn't work that way once Clemson and other teams get involved. Um, but wouldn't it be cool, like, people say, like, how could you flatten the recruiting curve? Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. That sounds like a COVID thing. Okay. How do you, like, <laughs> flatten the, the – how do you create the, the parity yeah. of um, – in college football, wouldn't it be great if, like, the first person to offer every prospect got them? Like, that was the way recruiting worked? You'd have a lot of early offers out there, but I know what I you're know, saying. I know, but also, too, though, you had, you'd have to be, you'd oh, have yeah. to be careful because <laughs> yes. if you fill up your class with a bunch of trash and your team's going to suck. So like there's, you there's, a, there's a great uh, cliche in coaches in, in, in recruiting. It's not the ones what, it's not the ones that you, you miss that get you beat. It's the ones that you take and can't play. Yeah, you wouldn't that be a in, really in Missouri, crazy one thing about way Missouri, to do it, though? Like, Missouri, about even that. previous staff, they that's been a running back school in recent years. They have had some very good running backs. Now every school, you know, every school has running backs that produce, but it's not like going to Missouri would be a – I mean, it, again, if you told Andrew Paul eight months ago you're going to end up at Missouri, he'd be like, sure, sign me up. But, you know, he went to Michigan last week. He's got a lot, of, lot, lot to decide the next few weeks. I'm a little disappointed that you weren't more uh... – enthusiastic about my my idea to fix recruiting no i like it it's a, yeah it's 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 interesting because and in fact your best friend although i thought i was your best friend bill landis is working on a story about the first offer and the the balance that schools have to play to offer a kid smaller schools p5 i mean g5 schools might not offer a kid because then he's kind of discovered and other schools are, you know, they might lose him to a bigger school. So it's a balance there. But I kind of like that because if you offer a kid, it's, it's, it would be a committable offer. And if you, like you said, I, w- I would never use this term, but if you start filling up your class with trash, then, you know, you got to rethink your strategy. So. Trash is also an expression. I don't mean the people are trash. I just mean I like know. if you take somebody that can't play we know what school. you mean Ari well you yeah. obviously didn't so I did know what you mean I just <sighs> said I wouldn't use that term um but yeah I think that that like picturing a world of college football where if you offer somebody who hasn't been offered yet you get him <laughs> uh but then you're stuck with him forever would yeah. be like the craziest game show of all time like yeah. <laughs> like watching like the way that one class would fill up would be like I'd take money out of my checking account just to watch a simulation of that yeah. That, like, so, that, like, the five star prospects would come off the board immediately and they might end up at Eastern Michigan. You never know who <laughs> who gets the five stars. And then, like, that would be like true evaluation Olympics. Can we do that for one year? For one just class? One year, just to see how it works. Yeah. yeah. Just see okay. how it works. And you can transfer after that. So, another three star, Miguel Mitchell, uh, a name, three star safety from uh, Oxford, Alabama, had committed to Vanderbilt in the summer, decommitted sometime during the season and then didn't didn't hear from him for several months and then after the season he's looking at Florida USC others Tennessee he just committed to Florida he's number 891 overall number 34 in Al- in Alabama so here's my question to you kind of a theory question does it make sense for some kids now the theory is that you a kid in that range should just lock up his spot early and sign early but does it make sense for some kids to bet on themselves with so much turnover in the Karis coaching carousel now, here's a kid that that USC and Florida, new coaches, had smallish classes. They're not going to take anyone, but they're looking to fill up their spots. He kind of took advantage of that, where in a normal cycle, no coaching turnover, he might not be at Florida. So does that make sense for some kids, or do you, would you advise just, just lock up that spot? I don't think that any um, there's any one way to view it, because the other hand, too, is that if you go to a place because of circumstance, you're probably going to leave after a year anyway. You know what I mean? So like, if you, he's not good enough, yes, for his right. Back, yeah. Um, and a lot of times too, coaches get desperate or they need to fill spots. And, and I'm not saying that Miguel Mitchell can't play. Maybe he'll be the best player in Florida's class when we look back in three years. Um, but just to to come up with like a uniform way of going about it, it'd be really hard. You know, yeah, because you could be the number 891 overall player and still be the 891 overall player like he is. And then nobody wants you, yeah. you know. So, like, to me, you got to have to read the tea leaves a little bit on uh, what you 
want to do in your recruitment. Also, too, just because you committed doesn't mean that coaches can't get involved or interested. You know, if somebody really likes you, you know, if he stayed yeah. committed to Vanderbilt, like Florida still could have called him. Sure. So, and maybe maybe they wouldn't have because they would view him as locked up or you know a lowly rated prospect that um, you know wouldn't be interested or they're not interested sure. in. If you see what I'm saying, but. I mean, it's worked out well for him, but I don't know why it wouldn't have worked out for him the same way if Florida believes in the way that he can play. And if he was yeah. still committed at Vanderbilt, he would still be a flip prospect, right? Like, do you yeah. see what I'm saying? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I just thought it was interesting because two schools that he was really looking at were USC and Florida that because of the way yeah, – Earlier in the, the process, time, he might not have had an opportunity to go to. Right, because both, both of those schools had, have small classes right I now. I do they think that there available. are situations where holding out – is a good thing to do. And I, I don't know, were you the one who talked about the basketball thing? Yeah, I would say that the the uh, a big man should wait, a marginal big man should wait and sign, not sign early. He will, if, if that's, if you're looking for better offers, but like you said, or you might end up at a place where you aren't good enough to play and then you end up transferring back to that level where you probably should have signed to begin with. But in a world where the transfer portal exists and you can leave freely, I would always shoot for the biggest possible school because if it doesn't work out, then you can transfer to the place you would have gone to anyway. Yeah, totally. You've nothing totally. to lose by shooting your shot. Like, that's why yeah. I think, too, it's like the transfer portal. I wonder if it's going to change the psychology of a lot of these prospects who, like, were concerned about depth charts at places. You know, if you're if you were concerned about a depth chart in the past, you wouldn't want to go there because you'd be stuck behind a bunch of people and you want to go to a place with a, with a clear path to the field. Now it doesn't matter. You can bet on yourself and join a team that has a stacked position group that you're in. Try really hard to make a difference. And if you don't, then you can leave anyway. So I, I, I think that like giving players the ability to change their circumstances is a good thing for the sport and an interesting thing w- way to impact recruiting. Yep. Um, another three-star I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you were, uh, saw this. Uh, Christian Capel wrote about him about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Joshua Wood, quarterback from Seattle, had been committed to Eastern Washington, put up huge numbers at a big school. Uh, I think it's Graham Kapowson's the school. Team went 14-0. They beat Suwannee Collins from Georgia, um, obviously Travis Hunter's school, in the Geico State Championship Series. So obviously this is a big-time school. Had no FBS offers till last week till last month offers now from fresno state in nevada his dad played at washington state uh again he just decommitted from eastern washington so we always talk about quarterbacks available late uh he's a guy to watch um my guess is my guess is he ends up at fresno state i mean of all fresno state and nevada offer but uh i just you know i haven't seen the kid play i watched a little bit of his film but i just putting up that those kind of numbers at a school that goes 14 and 0 and is good enough to beat you know one of the better teams in georgia on national tv in las vegas i can't believe he had no fbs offers until this is the now. type and, of kid like i got a question in the mailbag that I actually answered in written form about washington state yeah like why doesn't washington state like, offer washington should just like, take a chance on there. him yeah his right. dad played there um you know, and again, if you're an evaluation, a good evaluator, and you look at him and say this guy's a, a product of the, the team around him, he won't be able to play in the offense that we run. His arm isn't strong enough, or whatever. Same, by co- the way, same high school as Dylan Morris, the current, well, probably not next year, but the, the starter this year at Washington. Do you? I, I can understand just not taking anybody that has a cool story. So, like, you know, it's easy for us yeah. to get wrapped up and be like, oh my god, this guy's awesome and. You know, if he's going to go play at Fresno State, he could be like Jake Hayner and be really, really good and, and not be at a Power 5 school. And why wasn't Washington State taking a risk on this guy? And it's like, I get it. Like, you can't just offer every single kid at the quarterback position that's like this every year. Or you're going to run out of room, you know. Um, but this is the type of guy that, I mean, you take a chance on, right? And if he turns right. out to be really, really good, then maybe he's the catalyst that makes Washington State more of a Pac-12 North contender and you know, a candidate to do something bigger than what they've done in the past. You know, and at this position, most especially is is where I would take risks. So, you know, and Jeff Tedford obviously thinks he's good enough. I mean, Tedford just offered him. Yeah, but I think it's interesting too is just like watching these recruitments play out, and then in three years, like how they like that's what's so fun about recruiting. It's like we can theorize and discuss what you would do if you were the head coach at Washington State, and it's just like. It'll be very easy to see that if this kid puts up 5,000 yards of offense at Fresno State for us to sit back on this podcast in three years ago, what the hell is Washington State doing? Right. 
Then if he sucks, right. never talk about it again. So, right. you know. <laughs> right. And that's why I wanted to bring up. So three, three stars we brought up. So in two years, if they're, if they're, if they're good, you can say you heard it on stars matter. Andrew Paul running back from Dallas, Miguel Mitchell safety from Alabama and Joshua Wood quarterback from Eastern. I mean, and from, if, you, uh, and if from you're Seattle. into the, the Andrew Wood story, I wrote about him. So he's on the athletic, Andrew Paul, uh, Andrew Paul. What did I say? Andrew Woods. Yeah, yeah. Joshua One of my best Boy, friends Andrew is named Paul. Uh, Brandon Wooden, so and we call him Beat Woods. I thought Bill Landis was your best friend. I've got like ten really good friends. This I know bad, this, this is going to be really am I, okay. Am I at least in your good friend circle? Yes. Okay. I you said I was ninth a couple weeks ago. I was ninth hurt by is that. actually pretty good. Like we're putting together a wedding list right now, and it's a real battle. Ooh. Okay. It's only a seventy-five person wedding, and like we are like having a real hard time. Yeah, I had some tough cuts. Ours was a hundred and ten. Some, yeah some tough cuts yeah and Brett has more friends than any human being on the face of the earth so it's like that's annoying just, and the other yeah. thing too is that we're at the age now where everybody has a spouse which also messes everything up so like if you have a 75 person wedding so are you more likely to invite we're only going to be inviting divorced? 40 people that we like because everybody so else I, is an at plus one if i got divorced in the next few weeks would i have a better yes. chance of getting invited i mean we're at the point now okay. where when people say no it's like a relief yeah okay i'll have to consider that because i don't want to hurt people's feelings you know yeah. Okay. That's that's fair. It's fair. It's tough. There's cut. like family members that I'm. It's like inviting. a recruiting class. You only have a certain. You have yeah. a certain enough slot. You can't offer everyone. You gotta have we five star it. guests, Mitch. I know. I know. By the way, baby's still a five star. So I'll picture yesterday. Sometimes you oh, know she's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my. Sometimes life. you know the baby's. You get a you get a a prospect who's five star earlier in their career and they don't pan out. Whatever. Baby so far still five star baby. We, I've Very, gotten to the fades of parenthood where I'm sending unsolicited pictures of my child to people. So. Um, no, that's, I love it. I love that's, it. That's where I'm at in my life right now. But yeah, I appreciate that. And I showed I showed it right to to my wife and said, "Cute baby, cute baby." Um, <laughs> all right, how could it come from my gene pool? I know, I know. But and it's it's weird because she looks just like you, but she's super cute. Yeah. But um, everybody says she looks just like me, and I don't know like what it's like for you because I think that your no kids people look say like my daughter too. looks just like yeah, me. Yeah, Zoe looks just it. like you, and I just don't. But like as a parent, I can't see it myself. Yeah, I, well, totally agree there. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we got some great questions, um, but the first one we're going to do is more, more. we're going to spend some more time on because it's, it's a real fun subject. From This was from Max C. How would you rank the top 10 head coaches when it comes to recruiting, factoring in how they do relative this, to the school they're at? So we independently came up with our top 10. I actually have 12, some honorable mention guys. This was this was fun but difficult to do weighing in like where I think that's the important thing where are you at some schools a lot of schools are easier to recruit to than others um, new coaches how do how do we factor in a, a Marcus Freeman or a Dan Lanning um, so let's you we can go we can go you get your headphones back on there champ sorry my headphone fell out yeah um, so we can go down the list. One each, like I'll give. I'm my having one, a really hard time with this, Mitch. By the way, yeah, no, this is really tough. And also, yeah. like, if this were a story that you were working on, we'd do some more research. I would find out, like, this guy's average yeah, class we're is on this thing. Yeah, this is just. I mean, I spent some time on this, but I wasn't diving into the numbers. How much time did you spend on it? Um, I think I spent 15 minutes, and then I tweaked it a little bit. Okay. How much time did you spend? I'm guessing like nine like two minutes. nine minutes, maybe. Okay. Okay. Um, two minutes, maybe. <laughs> All right. Who's so top ten recruiting head coaches? Okay. Who's your so number one. My number one is Nick Saban. That's Nick Saban. Okay. And it's not just because he's at Al. Like 
he built this, he, you know, to what it is. Alabama was not a number one recruiting school when, when he took over. Also, so Alabama all- has set the standard and was the pacemaking car. Was that what's the car in the NASCAR race that like? I, I think pay, I, I, pace I car. I, pace car. It's the, it, it's the uh, he was the, he was the, me neither. No, uh, no one signed these super classes until yeah, and then then he made it the standard. He's like like what right. LeBron James did in the NBA, making super teams is like a regular thing now. Yeah. And his ability to continue to do it over the long long term too. I mean, he signed eight top one or the top classes in America, like out of nine or 10 or 11 years. Right. I don't know what the stat right. is, I but think it's nine like out of 11, nine out of 11 is an insane. This year. That's almost yeah. as impressive to me as winning the national championship six times. It's probably is more impressive to you. Yeah. But I mean, anybody who has any, I mean, I honestly thought about being a weirdo and putting somebody else number one, but I was just like, this is stupid. Like, Right. Well, there's a, there's another though. There's a guy in this list we'll get to that I think was the most difficult to rate because well we'll, we'll get to, we'll we'll talk about when we get to him. Who do you have number two? It's your turn to go number two. We okay, stagger Kirby, him. Kirby Smart. Okay, Kirby Smart's my number two I, too. I I went Kirby again. I could look up the numbers more. He you think Georgia should be recruiting like this, but they weren't recruiting like this before he got there. He built this and he. He uh, basically sees the opportunities that are available in Georgia, and he's been dominating since basically since his second class. So, uh, to me, Kirby was easy as a number two. Um, he transformed Georgia into a solid program, into an elite one through recruiting. It's that simple. I almost put him number one yeah, uh, because of that, and he actually won a national championship now, so people can't say he can't win on the field. Um, but he, obviously, he, he did what Nick Saban did in the yeah. You can't, you can't, but, but, but Nick Saban's Saban, the teacher. You can't put him up ahead. The right. Teacher. And also Saban does it in a state which doesn't have as much talent yeah. as Georgia too. So I, yeah. I don't think there's, it, you would have to really come up with an argument. To yeah. Smart ahead of Saban. Okay. My list gets wonky. Okay. Cause this is a podcast okay. and I didn't just want to list off the top 10 teams in so a row. Are, are these, are these takes kind of, kind of toasty? I don't know if they're toasty, but my number three is Mac Brown. Not crazy at all. I've got him four. I'm, I'm okay. So, so my three I mean, is because we're also we're also taking into account where they are, what their program Definitely. was before they got there. Th- those are two huge factors. Yeah, that's almost more important than what their rankings. And I've sat in an office with Mac Brown um, and did a story on him and like got to sit one on one with him in his office. That dude is smooth. Like, I mean, I was like, I'll play for this guy. Like, I mean, he seems to genuinely care about his players. He has a deep passion for the university that he's at. He's good people, as they say here in the South. Yeah, and he's also completely transformed the recruiting results North Carolina has had. Now, yeah. like if you there's multiple ways of doing this list, right? And doing those doing this list is you can might think like who would you hire right now to build your program around? And it's like I might not hire Mac Brown. He might not be my top three choices to hire around because of age and, and certain on the field results so the results far haven't been there, but but as you, as you it pertains to recruiting, yeah, 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 I think Mac Brown is certainly a top three coach in in America, and I'd be very curious too to see him. I mean, hell, he won a national championship at Texas, and as the years go on, it seems more and more like an impressive feat that we never will understand. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that he is a hell of a coach, and I really do believe that North Carolina is going to get off over the hump on the field eventually. It's the same thing I kept saying about Georgia and the mailbags, Mitch. Eventually, yeah. they're going to win a national championship, and it happened. Now, I don't think that North Carolina is recruiting nearly well enough to win a national title, but they certainly can be a, a legitimate contender in the ACC. They shouldn't be going six and six. Okay, so I have Mac Brown fourth. Uh, number three was the former head coach at Florida International, Mario Cristobal. Yeah, mine's four. He's four okay. on my list. So our top four are the same, just different order. Yes, and and, and because of sort of like Wooden Mac Brown, just where he what his class is at Oregon relative to in where where we think they should be based largely on the available talent in his backyard. Yeah, I mean, also, too, the the reason why Mario Cristobal is on my list um, is because he recruited the best recruiting class in the history of Oregon football at a place where he was forced to recruit nationally, and he did it from multiple states all over the place. Um, I'm very curious to see if, like, like if you were, like, coming up with a head coach that Miami could hire that could 1,000% change the viewpoint of, like, what you think of the U, like, Mario Cristobal is the slam dunk hire. So, like, if you built him from scratch, if we're wrong, that's who you built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we're wrong about him being in, being this high on 
in the coaching hierarchy, then we're going to find out real fast. But if we're right, I think Miami has a chance to be as good as they've ever been. Well, maybe uh, not, not maybe not right. like 2002 U or 2001 U, but like they can be really, really good if he can like start landing the, the prospects in Miami again. Right. I don't like this using this phrase sometimes because like, what are you going to do? Shut down the program. But a lot of times you say like, if this guy can't get it done, no one's going to get it done. But that's kind of where we're at right now with Miami. And one thing we didn't talk about with, with news and notes before, one of the three five stars who remains uncommitted, Shamar Stewart, uh, defensive lineman, um, looked heavily like uh, he was going to be a uh, go to Texas A&M, Miami making a strong push there. So that would be another huge coup. Uh, for the Canes. So this is where it got really tough for me. We Like we just said, we both agreed on our top four different order. Um, I've got Jimbo Fisher, number five. Okay, my number five is Ryan Day. Um, okay, I've got I've got Ryan Day, six. Okay, uh, Jimbo Fisher is my sixth. Okay, so this is... Ryan Day, to me, was the most difficult to evaluate because the results are fantastic. Like even this year in the number four class, his average player rating was, was third. It was, it was great, but he took over a program that the ball had already gotten rolling, gotten rolling, been rolling, whatever. Um, but at what point, Jimbo, do you, Jim, well, at what point can he separate himself from that? Like if he, if he just the more, the more he does it, I guess, but to me, it, this isn't fair. And who cares what our lists look like relative to like what he does, but like, he doesn't care. But he will always be the guy that took over. Like so far, so in year all eleven, guys if he signs list, the number one class in the country, is he still going to be the guy who took over for Urban? Like at a certain point, he's got to—he's not that person anymore, right? Because longevity right. is a hard thing to have. Sure, definitely. Um, but but so far, he's the only guy that we've talked about that didn't build it himself. Basically, like didn't yeah. didn't escalate. Now, if he you, built you, this himself, he might be number two. Yes, right. So that's why I yeah. I have Jimbo Fisher higher. Because first of all, he recruited well at Florida State. Had some great classes there. But what you know, signing one of the best classes in the history of, in the modern day recruiting era at Texas A&M put you pretty high in this list. Yeah. Also, so talk. Yeah. You know, being able to uh, recruit nationally, even though Ohio State was built as a gift, and Ryan Day's kind of a you know, I covered both. Him and Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer sometimes is like talking to a robot. And Ryan Day is a very personable guy mm-hmm. that connects well with families. And I don't just do it because, oh, my God, he has a bunch of top five classes. It's like I do it because I know the man. And I think that he's a very good recruiter in, in the sense of being able to connect to people. So, like, I don't know if he's going to be as good at Ohio State as Urban Meyer was. Obviously, things didn't go well for him last year, you know, with the two-loss season. But as it pertains to the things that I think he does well – uh, recruiting is certainly one of them. And, you know, if you actually look at the the interesting part here, Mitch, and I don't know if you've acknowledged this, is it was already built, but the results Ohio State has gotten, or at least gotten the 2021 class, and maybe the 22 class, are, are better than any of the cl- best classes that Urban Meyer put together. So it's like when Urban Meyer or a legend leaves a program, you might think, holy crap, how are they ever going to match that standard again? It's like in the recruiting realm, Ohio State's been better. So that's what have, I was gonna. I was yeah. gonna add. I was gonna ask yeah. you, but that was my. That's my yeah. interpretation. That yes, he took over an elite recruiting machine, but they've actually been better under him. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that he's certainly a top five recruiting coach in America for sure. I think he's. A top and this is like this is hard coach. because yeah, this is. I mean, I'm leaving out player people that I really really like off this list so far. Okay. So like my number seven has to be Dabo Sweeney, and I think that like him going down this low is kind of an insult, you know? And it's like, I've had my things to say about whether or not uh, I believe his long-term uh, ability to be a top coach in America is is tough, but he has two rings and has been one of the best evaluating coaches in America. He's had his own vision, has his own rules, and they worked. And for me to put him outside of the top five is probably kind of an asshole move, to be honest. So, like, seven, I don't know that I believe that he's number seven right now, but I think that it would be unreasonable to move him down any lower than this. I've got him eight. Okay. So who's your seven? Lincoln Riley. Yeah, this is – I would. But here's my thing with Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley's my – my, uh, sorry, my eight. Okay. Lincoln Riley never signed an elite level, elite, elite, elite class like in the Alabama, Georgia, even Oregon sense. Well, maybe not Oregon, but 
you know, the, the elite type of class that you need at Oklahoma. His best class was six. Never signed a top five class at Oklahoma. Yeah, maybe and, maybe I should have maybe I should have Dabo ahead of Lincoln Riley. Um which is fine. Especially especially sorry for I because Dabo built where Lincoln Riley inherited. Dabo is the best building coach in America outside of Nick Saban, without question. And maybe even more impressive because Clemson didn't have the, the history and the tradition that Alabama had. Yeah. So, um, but Lincoln Riley, I think if we redid this list in four years, will be in the top five because now he's exposed to a level of talent that is predisposition to consider USC and everybody who went to Oklahoma had to consider Texas and Texas A&M on top of it. So it's an easier place to recruit. And I think the results will go up. And as you go up, you know, those things will, the perceptions will change. But right now, if you're unable to sign a top five class at Oklahoma, then how could you be a top five recruiting coach in America? Yeah. So our top eight are the same, not in the same order. Okay. I think we're probably going to veer off now because my last two are kind of weird. Okay. I've got James Franklin nine. I, I knew he was going to be on your list. He's not yeah. on my list. I had him second, but I figured you'd just. Nobody that much. has dropped the ball the way that he dropped the 2021 class is ever going to be on my list. I just think that's one class. He it's rebounded. one more than anybody else on my list has. Okay, well, I, I, I'd have to see who's late on your list later. So, I. Okay, who's your nine? My nine is Mark Stoops. He's my 10. Mark Stoops. Is Actually, my, I have a three-way tie for 10, but I had to pick one, so I went Mark Stoops. And that's why you have honorable mention. But yeah. I picked Mark Stoops because they've landed some big-time commitments at Kentucky that Kentucky never would have gotten So at the highest level. But also, what do we talk about on the show all the time? We talk Recruiting. about coaches. <laughs> we talk <laughs> about coaches who can come up with an identifiable plan execute that plan and prove that that plan works and how rare is that like how many coaches in college football can you actually say have that have a plan and then execute that plan and then see the success of that plan like honestly like five and especially at a program like this and like mark stoops has executed his plan which is to attack the leftovers in the state of ohio that don't go to ohio state and create a really good program um also elevating uh the results that he's gotten like the top player in Kentucky the last few years and, you know, doing what he's done from a top level's talent. And then, of course, the results are that they aren't a joke in the SEC anymore and actually, you know, push, beat Florida. They push really, really good teams. And Kentucky is certainly at the best point in program history as a result of Mark Stoops' recruiting success. Okay, how much how much recency bias do you have? Because and I None. know it's, you'll just say you'll just say it's Kentucky, but he didn't have before this year. He had one top 30 class. Is that but just we're factoring also, Kentucky? We also are factoring in Kentucky. I'm like, just I'm just being yeah. devil's advocate. I'm not oh, disagreeing yeah, with you because yeah. I have him number the 10. The reason why I picked him is because I think that his recruiting strategy resulted in the transformation of a program. So that doesn't mean that I think he's going to go out recruit Alabama tomorrow. I think that what he did for Kentucky standards is as impressive as anybody's done at their program. Okay, fair. Um, and the reason why two, he's a head coaching candidate in every major coaching vacancy in America now. Yeah. My two honorable mention, or have you done your 10? Who's your 10? Eli Drinkwitz. He's on my... Okay, my, my two honorable mention guys are Eli Drinkwitz and Greg Schiano. Yeah, Greg Schiano. Um, I think the thing with Greg Schiano is is that, like, his hand fits perfectly in the Rutgers glove. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if, like, Greg Schiano would, like, go to the University of... of I don't know. Like, how would he do it in North Carolina? Yeah. <laughs> North Carolina. I think that, like, his genius is tailor-made for his program. Not go to Jersey. take it away, but... Like his job you know, is to recruit directors, so he's good at it. Eli Drinkwitz is changing Mizzou, I think, slowly. Now, in that conference, with everybody's good, it's harder to get the on-the-field on results, so I don't know if people are going to appreciate it. I just wanted to include Eli Drinkwitz on this list because he deserves the the acknowledgement of the work that he's doing. Just because he offered Andrew Paul, your guy. No, Yeah, oh, that that's part of it, too, but he also showed up at a high school in a dump truck this week. So, uh, was, it a, was it a dump truck? I think a so. Mack I truck. think so. Yeah, something like that. He's somebody who gets it. He got a, five, a top five player nationally in St. Louis, which never would have happened there before. Um, what was the last time it happened with Doriel Green Beckham? Was he from St. Louis? Uh, no, I think he was from somewhere in the central Missouri, I think. But they've, they've, yeah, but he was an state prospect. They, they've, I don't know, five. So they've gotten some elite defensive linemen at Missouri uh, in the recent years. So, like, getting, getting a, 
a top 50 player isn't common, they're, they're, but it's, it's... They're out-of-state recruiting, too. Like, I think I read a stat somewhere that said, like, they never got a four-star prospect from out-of-state, like, in the, any of the previous, like, five years or something, and now they've got, like, three or something like that. Like, they, they are... And the quarterback know, this year, Sam Horns yeah, from yeah, Georgia. Yeah, their best player in their class outside of Burden is a elite-level quarterback from the state of Georgia, and he's going to Mizzou. So, you know, also uh, Tyler Macon last year, um, your guy yeah you my wrote guy like I wrote I mean I think that they have the nuts and bolts of what it takes to be a successful program and you know also as much about recruiting as like vibe too right like what's the vibe of a program like I think the vibe of Mizzou has completely changed since he took over as head coach yeah um, they've signed four four stars Doriel Green Beckham Luther Burden Terry Beckner and Sheldon Richardson so two defensive linemen uh, and two wide receivers and, and so let me see where Green Beckham was from, I believe, somewhere in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, I think that's more central Missouri. Um, so, I asked you yesterday, like ha, ha, when we were in this, how do we factor in new coaches? Like Marcus Freeman and Dan Lanning would be would be guys we'd consider, and we just kind of like you know they, the one that I no only, track that I almost considered who Billy Napier. That guy is rocking shit right now. Yeah, he's doing an amazing job. I think yes, and already like he's already like like I just said with vibe, like the idea of what Florida is capable of doing has completely shifted, in my mind. Yeah, if Florida before, I mean this isn't a revolutionary thought here, but if Florida could just live up to its potential, the Florida Georgia series over the next five to ten years, we could be what we thought or hoped Harbaugh, you know, uh, Urban Meyer slash Ryan Day would be like a a ten-year war type thing in the sec east yeah florida was good it'd be good for the sec east yes thank uh, you for that yeah no it'd be more fun <laughs> I mean, that's what i'm saying we could just like oh yeah two no top shit. five teams instead of just yeah no I, I think that also florida holds the key to alabama too like i think if florida starts saying knock that shit off no more and miami you know, and if, South, if both of those guys are going and Florida becomes a harder place for Alabama to recruit and, you know, maybe Alabama just can recruit anywhere it wants now because it's Alabama and it doesn't matter who is at those other places. But in theory, if Alabama has a harder time in Florida, I think that could shift the paradigm of the SEC East as well. So it'll be very interesting to see how things go. But Billy Napier, who I thought fumbled his uh, press conference when he first got hired has backed up his his uh, recruiting prowess with action, which is far more important. And I want to acknowledge that because sort of sort of fits his personality, like just a no bullshit kind of guy. He doesn't. He's, yes, he's not. He didn't get up to that press conference trying to impress Ari Wasserman. He just he said Should've. what. He, yeah, I know. He's just said what he wanted to say, and he had full confidence in himself. They're also, man. I, Louisiana has lost a lot of players in the portal. Uh, a couple of them are heading back, heading to Florida, but they that. Uh, because Florida has done well in the portal, so I'd be interested to see. You know, I think that there's an interesting thing that we should discuss, though, here real quick, Mitch. Sure. Omissions from the list that, like, people might have anticipated being on it. Like, Brian Kelly was not on our list. And his last – he signed a top 10 class at Notre Dame in 2010. He signed three top 10 classes in the past five years at Notre Dame. I think that's good, but I don't think it's. I don't think that gets you as a top ten recruiter. Jim Harbaugh, good next tier, but no. I mean, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't consider Jim Harbaugh. Did you? Uh, I thought. I mean, I mean he thought was about my, him. Of course, he was in my pool. Yeah, yeah. Because so, of who he is, but so I'm know, looking at other... the top. You know, recruiting classes from you know uh, last year. My Florida. So so many. There's been so much turnover. Um. Michael Loxley, <laughs> Mike Loxley, probably. But yeah, based on where you're at, but yeah. What about Luke Fickle? Yeah, based on based how, on where he is yeah, and where in it development. Is. Yeah, um, yeah. Chip Kelly. I'm just kidding. I think he's yeah. Okay, I thought. <laughs> I think you make the case that he's probably one of the worst ones. Yeah. So, and know, I wonder about. I mean, I think it might be lack of interest in it. You know. He doesn't strike me as somebody who's overly passionate about recruiting. Right. Um, Arkansas is a school that's recruited a lot better than most people would give them 
would think based on their yeah, recent, Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman, but they recruited well under Chad Morris too. I'm very curious to see what Sonny Dykes does at TCU because he's done a very good job recruiting Dallas, and yeah. now he's at a quote unquote Power Five program in Dallas. Yeah. Um. Um. PJ Fleck, maybe he had a pretty good class. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, once you get out, I think we covered it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah I don't, am I missing anybody? No, I'm looking. I'm looking at like last year's ranking. Basically, I've got my spreadsheet of every class in the past 15 years. Jed yeah. Fish, of course. Well, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> just give him one more year. He's he's number one. Um, yeah, but that was fun. That was fun. I, I wonder maybe if we could like incorporate that into a, like like we'll cut Landis out of the deal, but maybe yeah. we should do like our top 10 recruiting list of or top 10 head coaches of recruiting. Yeah, it would be sell, fun to do it every year subs. and just yeah. and, and, and tweak it every year. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. After, how about we do that in February after the signing period? Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay. Or we could do like a roundtable too, me, you, and Landis, if you want to get your best friend in. Um, all right, well, one of the questions from Boots, good name. What's Boots? up with PJ Fleck? He seems really polarizing among high school coaches that I know. Evidently, Boots is... He's got his boots on the ground with the high school coaches and Gopher fans in general. Is his shtick genuine or fake, as some allege? Do you hear positive or negative things about him in the recruiting circles? His name came up a few times in the state recruiting article series and not always in a good way. My interpretation of P.J. Fleck from the outside, don't know him, is that he has a shtick, but it's genuine. Like, he's just a weird dude. Like, some coaches are fake. I don't think he's fake. I just think he's really weird, and some people love it, and some people don't. I've heard he's kind of difficult to work for, um, but I think he like he recruits well, probably better than Minnesota should recruit, and I don't know how long, if his stick will, how long it plays for. Maybe he's a coach. It's not stick, though, if that's who he is, and I think that's yeah. who he is. Do you agree with me that that's, he's just a weird dude? Yeah, yeah. Like, when Kerry Combs got hired by Ohio State a few years ago and he came into the press conference screaming and acting all enthusiastic, I was like, God, this guy, this guy's an asshole. This is, I, I can't deal with this every day. <laughs> and then you get to know him, and it's like, that's who he is. So it's like, I think it's one of those things where it's like, as you get to know somebody, you realize that that's who they are, and if they're actually that enthusiastic about what they do every day, it's kind of endearing. So like at first I thought that PJ Fleck was kind of an asshole. Like I was like I can't I can't deal with this this row the boat crap. Like let's just let's just you know put together a football team and recruit and be a human. Yeah. And then I like talked to him on the phone a few times and wrote a few stories about Minnesota and I was just like actually I like him. You know I think that this is somebody that I could play for because he genuinely believes in the direction of his program. I think he genuinely cares about the kids that he recruits. And I can understand why in a recruiting confidential story, people would say, I don't like that guy because they probably were only exposed to him one or two times. And I think with personalities like that, Mitch, you need, the more you're around somebody like that, the more you're prone to like him and the, the less you're around them, the more you are to think that they're fake. Right. So and my guess is, to me. my guess is that like, and this might not be fair, but there's probably some old school coaches out there that just don't like him because they don't like his Yeah, shit. it's just like, yeah, yeah, some guy who's been at his high school for 37 years. Right. Like, can we talk about ball here? I'm not trying to talk about rowing any boats. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I can understand. Like, I can understand how somebody that enthusiastic could rub somebody the wrong way. But I think generally speaking, the results at Minnesota have spoken for themselves. Totally agree. Um, this is an interesting question uh, from Randall F. Baylor has now had the best team in the state of Texas for two out of the last three seasons. How can Dave Aranda's program translate success on the field to greater success on the recruiting trail? Is there a clear roadmap for how to improve in that regard, or are there structural factors that put a ceiling on Baylor's recruiting potential compared to Texas, A&M, OU, etc.? But that's what's so crazy about Baylor, dude, is it's like Baylor has had different coaches, and they've had terrible things happen there, right? <laughs> and they've still like continually transcended to be a very good football team every single year, regardless of coach. They, they, that's what should happen at, at Alabama. Years. Like, yeah, it should like, just no matter what happens, they just keep re they keep reemerging. What happened with Art Bryles happened at other programs. Their program will be decimated. Like the fact that they were playing for a Big Twelve championship. I mean, honestly, and if you think about since the beginning of the playoff. Baylor is probably in the top 10 percentile in America of teams who were in the college football playoff discussion at all. Yeah. Like they were in the discussion the first year, you know, with TCU and Ohio State to get in. So, like, I don't know, like, as it pertains to recruiting results, I think it's interesting. Like, Waco was kind of far away, but not that far away, you know, um, from some major cities in in, Dow in uh, Texas and Dallas and stuff. But, like, 
they've done really, really well considering. So I don't know if it's Dave Aranda's genius or is there just something about Baylor that continually props up their program to having better than expected results because they've been a, a, a model of consistency the last 10 years, haven't they? Not, no, they, not really. I mean, they've had their dips, you know, when in a lot of it was because of the post-art Bryles stuff. Matt Rule came yeah, and I mean, did a great job. Happen. Like, but I then mean, not you know, every- Aranda's first year was not good. Matt Rule's first couple of years weren't good. Uh, then he went six and six one year, and then like ten and one or ten, I mean ten and two. But multiple coaches have yes. done really well yes. there. Is what I'm saying. Like no I'm doubt. not saying that they've been a, a ten win team for nine straight years. But if you go back and you look at the last three, four, five head coaches, they've all found some success at some point in their tenure. And when we're talking about teams like LSU or, or places like Ohio State, where the program supersedes the the figure that that leads them. Then I also wonder, like, if Baylor, there's something about Baylor that helps prop them up, regardless of who the head coach is going to be. If that person sticks through it, they're going to find success. And oh, by the way, they won the national championship in basketball, too. Yeah, it's it's the same thing in basketball as well. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and yeah, they had more horrific things. Well, I I don't don't want to rank the horrificness of things that have gone on in Baylor in the past 20 years, but, uh, you know, what amazing success by that athletic department. Um, we talked about this one a couple of weeks ago, but I'll just bring it up again. Tom W., what can Tony Elliott and Brent Pry do to seal off the borders of Virginia from poachers such as Mac Brown? Does the addition of another FBS school, James Madison, to the mix change the outlook for the big brothers at Virginia Tech and UVA? I mean, I think the simple answer is just recruit better. Don't let Mac Brown come in and beat you. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's no like, reason that North Carolina... I mean, everybody can say we're putting a fence around the state. It's just a matter of how, like, dedicated you are to it. When Mac Brown took the job at North Carolina... He sent assistant coaches to every single high school in North Carolina, regardless of whether they've ever had a Power Five or will ever have a Power Five kid ever again. Right. Like, you have to be dedicated to the cause. It's not just like, oh, we're going to try really hard to, to recruit the state and do a, a good job. You got to, like, bust your ass every single day to own your state. And that means dedicating time, resources, and money into getting people into the high school hallways. That's the only way. And you could argue that Baylor, no matter what it does, is not going to out-recruit Texas or Texas A&M over f- maybe in a single year, but over a five-year period. They're just fan-based, whatever, tradition. But there's no way, there's no reason that Virginia and or Virginia Tech should be out-recruited by North Carolina in its own state. Like, North Carolina is a great school, but it's not like they've got... Virginia Tech has more recent tradition. Virginia is a great school, just like North Carolina. They're, they're, those schools should be on equal footing in recruiting. There are a lot of schools that aren't on equal footing, so it's just, like you said, just be better at it. Yep. Uh, let's see. We got... Uh, Want to go a couple more? I sure. got a good, good question this week, but um, this one's... I just, this could, will just kind of reinforce what we talk about all the time uh, from Jesse K. If schools like USC, Miami, Florida, Michigan, and UT, I don't know if it's Tennessee or it's Texas. Texas, but it doesn't matter. It's Texas. Um, all start to recruit at the level they should be capable of, capable of, how much of an impact will have on Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, how many cycles of consistent recruiting it would take for the current powers to legitimate see a legitimate decrease in Three. out-of-state star power. So that's that's what we talk about every week. It's up to these next tier of schools to recruit better, and that will put a dent in the superpowers. That's right. Three three cycles of that, and I think we'll we'll start to see the, the separation at the top uh, come back to reality. Yeah. And it's all math. It's all math. And here's another question that I – another and it's also another Slack message that you just ignored from me yesterday, but it's okay. Um, what? Besides moving all practices and games to Maui, what would be your oh. recruiting strategy if you were named the next head coach at Hawaii? I would only recruit players from cold cities in the Midwest. So Dayton, Ohio to Honolulu Pipeline. If I saw a three-star receiver considering Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, and somebody else, I would offer that kid. Then I would do it a thousand times. And I would try to build a Indiana-like class or a Purdue-like class in the Big Ten in Hawaii. And I would get all these people out to Hawaii and say, let's build the best football program and that we possibly can here. The thing with Hawaii is, I don't know, they were very stringent on their official visit policy. Yeah. And it's a school they're severe. They're 
fin- tons of financial issues as a school. So, like, I don't know, like, it would take financial investment to ever turn anything around. It's like recruiting to Hawaii. Like, what's your pitch? It's like, I, I don't know. Come be badass at football in the most beautiful place on the face of the earth. But also, if you don't have the financial investment to see that through, it doesn't matter what your pitch is. So, like, that's also part of it. But I would I would recruit the hell out of the 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 places that aren't that are cold. I would get people on airplanes to come to to official visits and I would say we can build the best team in our conference in you get to live in Hawaii for four years and get a solid education. Like I would I would listen to that. Would you rather go play? I don't know. Maybe if you're a power five snob, but like, would you rather play at Illinois or would you rather play at Hawaii? I mean, the way Hawaii is currently what's going on, Illinois, if Hawaii was at its peak and invested in all that stuff like i don't want to go and i don't know this like i don't want to go in like a hawaii's got a better room and all this stuff you know yeah, I, I, I don't the know best, what their facilities the, are the, off best, the, top of my- the best of the best now hawaii some people think a fix uh, something that should be done in recruiting is to allow kids to sign whenever like let's say after they're into their junior year no school would benefit more than hawaii from if a kid could sign like on an official visit sometime in like february in in, in november and didn't have to wait till signing period. If you could get a kid to sign while on a visit, they would their recruiting would be better. Hawaii's uh, number one hundred in the twenty twenty composite team rankings. Well, t- it's like I think Illinois is probably like in the seventies somewhere. So I don't think that the gap between those two schools is as big as you think it is. Actually, yeah. Illinois is fifty two. Oh, so it actually is a pretty right. huge gap. Yeah, I'm an asshole. Okay, so I just got. I saw someone on Twitter that I thought was big news. Dylan Lonergan, one of the top 2023 quarterbacks, he tweeted committed, but he committed to the Under Armour football All-American game next year. So Look at you. Okay. Let, hit me with this big question now. I'm okay. excited. Okay. It's, a, it's similar to a question we've done before, but it's a different year. The top 25 quarterbacks in the 2013 class, how many of them played in the NFL, took a snap in the NFL? How many did you say? 25? Yeah, the top twenty-five. Because remember, we did in the twenty twenty, yeah. we did in the twenty twelve class, and you guessed like a high so number, you, and it was not a high number. Okay, so like now, seven. Don't you learn from your mistakes? Was that too high? Yes, way too high. Three took a snap. Three. I mean, sorry for for believing in the rankings, you know. I bet you I, do it. You know what? Next week, yeah. and I won't look this up, do 2020, 2016. Okay. And maybe it's too early, but I guess taking a snap in the NFL and playing in the NFL are different, which is probably my my problem. But who are the three? Christian Hackenberg, number two. Unreal. Joshua okay. Dobbs. Unreal. Number 12. Jared Goff, number 21. So only one of them was successful? Now, there's... Six others ranked outside the top 25 that have taken snaps. Ready for them? Yep. D- you okay there? Yeah. Okay. Davis Webb, 44, Texas Tech. Ryan Finley, 51, Boise State. I don't even know what team he's on, but he transferred to NC State. Um, okay. Baker Mayfield, 71. Um, in fact, they didn't, even, they didn't even have a school next to his profile on the list because you know he's a walk-on at Texas Tech. Here's, a, here's one that uh, needs an asterisk. John Franklin from Florida oh. State. He was a wide receiver. He hasn't played much, but he's, he's taking a snap. Mike White, New York Jet legend, number 81, South Florida, transferred to Western Kentucky. Number 115, the 115th quarterback, Logan Woodside, is a backup for the Tennessee Titans. Oh, wow. So some, the, I'll go over the top 10 from that class. Max Brown was number one, Hackenberg two, Shane Morris, Michigan three, then transferred to Central Michigan, Cooper Bateman, Alabama to Utah, then maybe somewhere else, Kevin Olson, BYU, Troy Williams to Washington, I don't even remember Troy Williams, Bryce Ramsey to Georgia, Cody Thomas to Oklahoma, Asante Willard to UCLA, JT Barrett to Ohio State. He never took a snap in the NFL, did he? No, he was on the Saints practice squad yeah. for a year. And then Hay- few uh, real quick, Hayden Hayden Reddig from LSU, I think transfer, he did transfer. Dobbs, Malik Zaire, Notre Dame, Jeremy yep. Johnson, Heisman Trophy winner from Auburn. Do you remember that? Yep. The, 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 uh, they were a lot of hype preseason. Cole Stewart, A&M, Ryan Bird, Stanford, Aaron Bailey, Illinois, Damian Terry, Michigan State. Oh, sorry, I bolded the wrong one. There's another one. There's four. 
Mitch Trubisky, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, so that's four. a big one to forget. Yeah. Okay. Anthony Jennings, LSU. Goff, Matt Alviti, Northwestern. Cord Sandberg, Mississippi State. Kenny Hill, A&M. And Bucky Hodges from Virginia Tech. Interesting. So, yeah. So, uh, good question. It was. Maybe we'll do another year next week. Yeah, I will. Don't Don't cheat. So I won't. I won't. Okay. Good podcast. I'm going to pick seven again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Max C. Great question. Got us going there and maybe some story ideas in the future. Um, I did my job. All right. Time for you to do your job. Thanks so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. I thought that was a really cool episode. I hope you did, too. We'll catch you next week. 